Mortgage Women Magazine. It's where women's voices are heard. Find it free at www.mortgagewomenmagazine.com. This is Gated Communities, where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about in the mortgage industry. The other week, I had a particularly interesting interview with Hope Atwell, CEO and Executive Director of the Asian Real Estate Association of America, to talk about Asian appraisal bias. When we think of discrimination of minorities, oftentimes Asian people are the last ones to come to mind. Aren't they rich? Well, that's exactly the kind of misconception that contributes to the discrimination of certain sub-communities within the Asian American demographic. Southeast Asian and Pacific Island have dealt with discrimination and progressive devaluing of their land for generations. But East Asian and Southern Asians once had home valuations comparable to white people until the pandemic happened. This is the most recent case of widespread appraisal discrimination against an ethnic community. So I brought on a 12 to discuss these findings from the new report, Appraised, the persistent evaluation of white neighborhoods as more valuable than communities of color, and share her thoughts with the audience. Just to kind of like start off and, and introduce yourself to the audience, why don't you explain a bit about yourself and what the Asian Real Estate Association of America does? Sure. Do you want me to start with actually saying my name? Like I'm introducing myself. Um, yeah, you could go ahead and do that. Okay. Um, I am, all right, let's start from the very beginning without the, um, (laughs) my name is Hope Atwell and I am the executive director slash CEO for the Asian Real Estate Association of America, um, or ARIA for short. ARIA was formed 20 years ago in 2003 with really the concept of moving the needle of homeownership for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. So right now there is this disparity between um, between different races when you take a look at the wealth gap and it's primarily driven by homeownership. And so um, becoming a homeowner gives you the ability to generate wealth and pass along that wealth to the future generation. And that's what we're all about um, is moving the needle of homeownership um, and taking away the barriers or moving through the barriers and challenges of homeownership that is very unique to Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when people, you know, mention underserved communities or underserved minorities, the last, you know, kind of people that come to mind are Asian Americans, which kind of plays into, you know, the stereotypes there are about Asian Americans. So before we kind of get into the research, um, you know, explain a little bit about some of the stereotypes that are out there and how that negatively, you know, impacts the community. Yeah, I think we've often been stereotyped as uh, being very successful and not needing any help. You know, we oftentimes as a community will refer to the model minority myth, right? So we are this model minority. Um, We keep our head down. We don't um, create any type of like waves or issues. We don't rock the boat. Uh, We have great work ethics. We're great in math. I was not. I recall. Required a, I required a tutor um, 
So I'm not the stereotype um, and we're successful. Uh, and while there's some truth to that, right? A lot of uh, within our community enjoy the successes, just like diverse communities. Um, I think oftentimes we are portrayed as not needing any help. And um, I talk about this all the time. And much as I love the movie Crazy Rich Asians, that perpetuates this whole uh, perception about Asians being super rich. Now, we might be crazy, but the rich part, I don't know. Uh, so this hurts our community, right? And even when you take a look at data that aggregates all of the subgroups uh, that that's inclusive of the Asian American and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander. Sorry, that is a mouthful that <laughs> comes from the U.S. Census. Uh, but even if you take a look at just the aggregate, right, ANHPI, um, we we're, it looks like from a surface, we're doing very well. We're doing, you, you know, you take a look at our median income, it's higher than uh, the average American income. You take a look at credit scores, if we're able to get a credit score. But really what is needed is to take a look at the subgroups. And that's why we as an organization are advocating for disaggregated data, because that is where actually you take that. That's where the story lies. Right. And you um you take a look at communities at like the Hmongs and the Laotians and the Cambodians. Um, and there is a segment, a fairly large segment of the, those communities that are even Filipinos uh, that are within poverty level. But that's not talked about. Right. That's not the one that makes news lines or stories and all of that stuff. So rightly so, like you had pointed out, when when we're thinking about underserved communities, we're not necessarily thinking about Asian Americans. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot that we are trying to do because we do need help. Right. And if you take a look at the homeownership gap um, for the non-Hispanic whites, it's about 72, 73 percent. You take a look at Asian Americans, it's about 60, 61 percent. So there's about a 10, 11 percent gap there. So to say that we are underserved, to say that uh, we don't need any help is a disservice to the AANHPI community. Mm -hmm. And it, it's interesting that amongst the different sub communities, there are varying levels of of uh, poverty, discrimination, you know, the home ownership gap. So let's delve into some of these sub communities. Um, this, you mentioned the Southeast Asian and Pacific Islander uh, communities. Research, research shows that um, they've dealt with discrimination and progressive devaluing of their land for generations. Mm -hmm. So. Let I, I want to understand why that is. Why those particular sub communities? Is it because you know? Is this immigration policy, or are more of them immigrants? You know, are they you know foreign born? What, what's behind that? Well, I think it's it's a little bit much more complicated because if you take a look at just the Native Hawaiians and 
Pacific Islander communities, right? So Hawaii is a state. You've got American Samoa. You've got the Pacific Island uh, islands right there that are U.S. territories and all of that stuff. So they're not necessarily immigrants. Um, and and then you've got the South Asians, which are predominantly, you know, the 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 um, Indian Americans and. Uh, what's interesting about that particular study is that if you take a look at Indian Americans, they tend to skew higher on the income bracket. Right. They're um, they're very well educated as a subgroup. Um, they uh, they 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 are probably one of the subgroups that um are highest when it comes to work visas, highly skilled work visas and all of that stuff. Um so it is interesting that the study points that there is this disparity when it comes to home values considered to generally white communities. Um, and it's probably because, you know, again, um, all things considered, it's probably probably because there, I don't know, uh, this is my observation, you know, is it because there are more multi-generational households living in um, in a home? And um, if you take a look at particularly Pacific Islanders, um, multi-generational living is fairly common. And is that the case, right? Uh, there, there are probably two families with grandma and grandpa living in, in, in that home. Is that the case? Um, and it's kind of, not kind of, but it is disappointing to see that the valuation of these homes, that there's this disparity compared to white communities because our homes, right? The the biggest purchase that I know for for me is is the home. And for an average American, that is perhaps the biggest purchase that you'll ever make. And as pointed, as I pointed out earlier, right, that creates wealth. And if it doesn't, if this whole wealth creation is in, um, is not equal when it comes to building equity of, um, of the homes, then there's, there's again, that, that inequity, there's this sense of injustice in a way that, that we create among underserved communities and among, um, multicultural communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk about discrimination against black Americans, mm-hmm. against, you know, the Hispanic population, there's there's some clear history that everyone is somewhat familiar with that we can point to and say it originated here or this had a huge impact on people's perception of this community today. And, you know, amongst the, the Asian subcommunities, there seems to be different reasons for the discrimination, as you said, it might be the multi-generational household could be a contributing factor to it. But do you think it's just the fact that some people look different? Is that maybe perhaps well, it? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, as as you've said, you know, there for for the black community and for the Hispanic community, um, you, we can we can pinpoint. Uh, very distinct reasons why there is disparity in homeownership and just the systemic laws, right? Particularly for the Black community that has created inequity when it comes to housing. But if you take a look at the history of Asian Americans in general, there were many laws that were created um, 
that barred Asians from being in this country. You take a look at the Chinese Exclusionary Act that prohibited Chinese nationals from coming into this country. You take a look at the executive order that was issued uh, post, you know, post um, uh, the bombing of, of uh, Pearl Harbor that put Japanese into camps. And in fact, that is, you know, that's that's one of our fears right now are these laws um, similar to what Texas is, is proposing, SB 147, that prohibits the ability for individuals, if they're from for, for foreign countries, um, to own real property, right? So, those I think it's more education, Katie, quite honestly, um, and very, you know, there's seldom um, that you hear about this, you know, education and information about all of this stuff. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, if you can't come to this country, then you're, or if you're put in a camp, then you're not able to home to own homes and, and what have you. So. It might not be as um, as clear cut or as salient as what the black community and what the Hispanic community has gone through. But for sure, there has and there continues to be that sort of like um, not belonging into this country. Right. We we as a we as an organization continue to talk about this feeling of this perpetual foreigner. Um, that we never really belong. And I think it's something that we continue to be challenged. Um, and particularly, you know, post COVID when the Asian community was blamed for the pandemic. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it, it hurts the community. It continues to hurt the community. You know, next week, um, March 16th, uh, Atlanta will be commemorating the shooting um of Asian American women, right back in uh, what was it a couple of years ago, and so it's it's there. It's not just talked about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just because you you kind of briefly mentioned it, the Texas Senate Bill One Forty Seven. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, it is absolutely crazy, kind of a bomb drop for those who do not know about it. Um, yes, um, that it, it makes it illegal for Chinese and North Korean citizens to buy any property in Texas, including homes. It does not make any exception for legal permanent yes. residents, visa yes. holders or dual yes. citizens. So tell mm-hmm. me a, a little bit about that. It, it, you know, is the association you're with concerned? Are you guys doing anything just, you know, spreading awareness? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. We are doing something. We've got four chapters in Texas. And interestingly enough, if you take a look at migration patterns for Asian Americans in the last decade, right, in the maybe the last 15 years, um, California obviously has the highest density of Asian Americans. And closely following California is Texas. And that whole intersection of migration of, of you know, I thought for the longest time, that the Northeast would be second to California. But the growing trend right now is the movement towards the Southeast. And there are different factors. Um, 
One of them is, is the affordability of homes. Um, if you take a look at historically where you will find Asian Americans, we are typically in coastal communities, right? Um, gateway communities, Seattle, Portland, um, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, and those are high price communities. And what has happened again in the last 10 years is this migration into the middle of America, particularly in the Southeast. Affordability is one. Um, the the uh, much more friendlier when it comes to small businesses, right? And taxes and what have you. There's also a movement of um uh, of of manufacturers, Japan, uh, whether it's car manufacturers or um, or technology manufacturers, to set up manufacturing plants in the southeast, and so you know, with Texas, um, Texas being the the being second to California as far as the density of Asian Americans, this is going to impact the ability of. Um, Chinese Americans and Korean Americans to own home. And like you pointed out, it's a blanket bill, right? It's a blanket bill that um, that just says you cannot own property. And yes, like you had said, even if you are a dual, dual citizen or permanent resident. Um, and it's going to hurt, again, it, uh, the, the ability of of certain individuals from certain Asian countries to be able to own a home. And that is that is not fair housing, right? That is that is against the, the whole idea of fair housing for all. Then where where's the concept of fair housing? And what I have heard from some of our members is that there are 11 states. I still have to kind of like do a research. One of them is Georgia that are actually mirroring this bill. And it's it's kind of not kind of it's actually scary. We are in a time where really the anti-Asian sentiment has quite escalated into this whole. No, we're not even going to allow you to buy property. Um, mm -hmm. And what about foreign students? Right. We, we see that um, that uh, in, in some instances, parents of foreign students from either Korea or China, instead of putting them in a dormitory, they will purchase a real estate investments. That's going to hurt as well. And so it's going to have some implications within the real estate, real estate market. Uh, so yes, we are definitely keeping a um, monitoring this particular issue. We've been working with the state legislature um, and even um, Congressman Al Green, who's been a friend, a supporter of ARIA, our four chapters in Texas have been in the forefront of this. So, yes, we are we are truly concerned um, about this. Yes. It's, I mean, it's incredibly disappointing, especially, you know, the fact that many people here think that we are so progressive, that we have come such a long way. And then to kind of see this happen, it you know, it, it's really shocking to the system. And I want to, you know, go more in depth on what you brought up, the hate crimes that have that the pandemic has spurred against Asian Americans, um, not just in America, but all across the world as well. Virtually everywhere that COVID-19 spread um, is where Asian hate has spread. So uh, like you mentioned, in the U.S., there was a shooting that took place in the Atlanta spa. 
um, killing uh, eight people, six of Asian descent, um, you know, government leaders around the world encouraging um, hatred towards, you know, towards uh, Asian citizens um, with uh, anti-Chinese rhetoric. In Malaysia, the authorities carried out mass raids to detain refugees, migrant workers, um, you know, just everywhere this is happening. So, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about this. You know, did you kind of receive any reaction from the Asian community? You know, speaking on on their behalf, what what is their reaction to this? Has has it let up at all? I mean, clear with the with the Texas uh, bill, it seems like not much progress has been made since the pandemic started. Yeah, so what's sad is that it continues, right? Just because we don't hear it on the news does not mean that the hate crime um, actually has gone down. And I think it was um, API Vote, another nonprofit organization that um, looks at voting rights and voting opportunities for Asian Americans. Um, They did a study a couple of years ago, post the pandemic, and when this whole anti-Asian hate crimes um, have started. And what they found was that um, the the. Asian Americans, the the purchase of guns among Asian Americans have increased, I want to say like 20 or 30 percent. Now, I'm not saying that that is the solution for um, combating hate crimes, but for I think that's indicative of what our community is feeling. Well, we're not getting any protection, so we have to protect ourselves. Again, that's not the solution, uh, but to see that number significantly increase in the last couple of years is very, very concerning. Um, and, you know, uh, to to actually have a law. Right. So con- Congresswoman uh, Grace Meng from Brooklyn, she co-sponsored a bill a couple of years ago um, to put a stop right to to make it criminal uh, for all of these hate crimes. And it's sad that we have to mandate hate. Right. How, how do you mandate hate? How do you change a person's heart? And, you know, it's it's it is like we are going backwards. Um, and, you know, last year, because our organization is focused on homeownership, what we had said was, well, let's take a look at the implications of hate crime and um, our our community's ability or choices to live where they want. So we deployed a two-pronged survey. One was a survey to our members and one was a survey to Um, Asian Americans who recently purchased a home or in the prospect of buying a home in the in kind of like a three month window. And, you know, the 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 assumption that Asian Americans typically will purchase homes based on, well, you know, good skill school district. Right. So we typically gravitate towards school districts that have great, um, uh, great scorecard um, and uh, a good school district, um, newer homes. We gravitate towards newer homes as well. Uh, but the the two main reasons for why um, for why. Asian-Americans, at least in the survey that we found, chose the place where they lived was to get away from hate and sense of security. Right. And 
um, the the what has happened in the last two or three years and what continues to happen is that sense of security is being challenged, right? Our ability to live where we want to live is being challenged right now. And that's that is that is a right to live where we want and to be safe where we choose to live. And, you know, when, when that happened, when, when all of those hate crimes, particularly um, towards the elderly started to happen, you know, almost three years ago, two years ago, I told my parents, I'm in San Diego, I said, okay, no more walking to Balboa park, right? No more. And it hit home to me because I told him, I said, I don't want to hear in the news or to get a call that says somebody pushed you. Um, and it's, and, and, and to target the elderly is, 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 uh, I don't know. What do you call that? Immoral. It is. It is. And so it's, it's disappointing. It's, um, it, it, it's all of those emotions that you can mm-hmm. think of. And again, you know, it doesn't start, it doesn't stop. And this, this shooting in Atlanta, right. Targeting women, the misogyny of, of Asian women, how are we portrayed that, that takes part of how, um, how we are portrayed in the media as well. And, you know, that's why this, these stereotypes, if you start kind of like uncovering it, it's like, um, peeling an onion, right? As you get closer to the core, you're crying uh, just because of all of, of the stuff that uh, we continue to go through as a community. And it's great that there are a lot more um, organizations that have banded together, APIs that have banded together, um, whether it's the American um, uh, uh, Asian Americans Advancing Justice that have been in the forefront of uh, taking a look at racial equity and all of the injustices within our community. Um, it's great that that we are coming together and truly finding solidarity in um, these unfortunate events. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if if you've mentioned this, but is it is it also true that they, you know, they're gr- more so grouping together. It's, so there are more like, you know, Asian sub communities, you know, within uh, the nation, kind of like I feel closer in an area where I see more people like me. And then mm-hmm. but in a way, that's also kind of you're segregating yourself because now you feel safer in that community. But you're you're separating yourself from the rest of the world. It seems like as such an unfortunate consequence of this. It is. It is. Right. So you feel um, and I think that this is just instinctively human nature. Right. You're drawn to. Uh, people who you can say very similar, whether it's in looks or or what have you. But yes, um, I remember the story of one of our leaders. Um, one of her clients was offered a promotion in um, in Idaho, I think, at the uh, the the middle of the pandemic, and she turned it down because it's like there's not a whole lot of Asian Americans in the state of 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 Idaho. And I don't want to be discriminated. You know, I'm starting a family and all of that stuff. But um, but what is even, I guess, ironic is if you take a look at uh, what we've seen as far as hate crimes, at least in, in, in main media, right, um, mainstream press, 
you know, those hate crimes um, occur in Oakland, in San Francisco, in New York, where there's high density of Asian Americans. And it's like, it's even scary, right? It's like, where where do I then feel safe? Um, mm-hmm. If even in areas where presumably there are a number of Asian Americans, I, st- I I'm still not safe. So. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, so sad. And and the fact that more of them, I think it's interesting, more of them are are buying firearms just to protect themselves. Such an unfortunate consequence. I, th- I think it should make people think that, you know, this type of attitude towards that community, what are they supposed to do? You know, mm-hmm. it's like when you feel helpless like that and, and then it, you realize that you're fueling something that could potentially become combative and just, you know, overall poor, you know, less cohesive, and, you know, a more uh, polarized nation. Absolutely. Yes, you, you've described it correctly. A more polarized <laughs> nation is what we're becoming. Yes, yes. And, you know, this this anti-Asian hate has also uh, very quickly impacted the um, appraisal of Asian homes, you know, within Asian neighborhoods. And we see this particularly um, within the study appraised uh, that came out uh, recently. We see that this has quickly had an impact on East Asian and uh, Southern Asian um, families and households. Their neighborhoods decreased relative to their white counterparts within such a quick amount of time. And they noticed that this trend happened to rise during the same time as the pandemic. Um, It neglects to mention how much the um, appraisal values have dropped. But we have seen, you know, if you're looking specifically at the data, the website suggests this was very prevalent within Californian metros, um, you know, such as San Jose, Los Angeles, Sacramento, um, San Diego, Riverside, and, you know, where where a lot of, you know, Asian Americans reside. Um, You know, I want to ask you how you feel about that. And, you know, I I find it particularly shocking that this would happen so quickly. Well, again, it's, 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 it's not shocking, but it is, right? Am I surprised that it would trickle down to values of home? Not entirely, but it is it 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 actually um again underscores the whole idea of just discrimination and hate and inequity altogether, right? So what you've pointed out that white counterpart neighborhoods, their values are much higher than South Asians and East Asians, um, all things considered. Now, why? You know, is it because of, of the, again, the color of their, their their skin? Is it because it's mostly an immigrant community? Um, and if if homes are where we find the greatest wealth creation, and there is disparity in the values of the home, that that's not equity. That's not that that is injustice. Right. The whole notion of economic justice then is not there. Mm-hmm. And what's particularly interesting, I should have mentioned this beforehand, that these subcommunities, the East and Southern Asian uh, neighborhoods previously before the pandemic were appraised at amounts comparable to their white counterparts. 
But, you know, what's interesting about that is that these communities, though there was some bias against them, they were assumed Mm -hmm. to be more wealthy because when the U.S. finally allowed East and Southern Asians to immigrate here, they only granted visas to workers with high education levels, socioeconomic status, you know, um, highly valuable skills. This fostered a kind of racialized assumption that these Asian Mm -hmm. communities were successful, like you said before, and therefore their neighborhoods were similar or higher in value to white neighborhoods. Do you still consider that appraisal bias? Oh, yeah. Whether or not um, they see it, right? It's implicit bias. Um, And that's probably a little bit much more dangerous, in my opinion, because you're not aware of it. And, you know, that's why one of the things that we are advocating for this year is appraisal reform altogether, right? And more education to appraisers across the country. Um, If real estate practitioners are required to do much more um, implicit bias training and all of that stuff, all the more, I think, for the individuals who are placing an opinion of the value of those real property. So absolutely, I think um, it's, it's much needed that... Uh, we need to take a look at, uh, you know, education reform for appraisers, um, much more experience and 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 and, and awareness, uh, perhaps even doing some cultural competency training, right, for for appraisers um, and making that something uh, that as as a component into uh, them be- giving an opinion of value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I asked the co-author of the report, Junia Howell, you know, how did this how do you think this really came about? She said it probably had less to do with appraisers saying, oh, you know, I don't like this area as much personal opinion and more to do with recognizing the general push against certain communities, reflecting that in their appraisals, which she would still call a racist assessment. Would you agree with that or do you think personal opinion may have something to do with it? It is right. So if you take a look at um, uh, really the 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 um, the work in in appraising, it really is an opinion of a value, right? So there's uh, there there's obviously um, objectivity, but there's also subjectivity, and one may not realize that they're being discriminatory. But if they're looking at neighborhoods that don't quite look like they're where they're coming from, right? Or assuming that they're coming from predominantly white neighborhoods, um, then they're saying, well, okay, this is not quite the same neighborhood. You know, it's mostly immigrants and, um, you know, larger families and all of that stuff. Therefore, um, this is valued less than absolutely. I think that is a form of discrimination. I agree with um, with a co-author. Mm-hmm. And it might not be the discrimination that most people tend to think about, you know, like this is a racist appraiser. It's it's mm-hmm. more to do with, you you know, that imp- implicit assumption about, you know, these communities. What do you think? I mean, recently, Fannie Mae came out with this uh, some updates to their selling guide where they're implementing more technologically innovative appraisals that have less to do with, you know, the person being there and more to do with using existing data, you know, and things like that, just to kind of 
you know, fill in more of the appraisal. So it becomes in a way less opinionated. Do you, you know, do you support that? Do you think that should help the cause, especially, you know, with um, kind of the recent detriment that this has caused? You know, it's interesting. Um, I have uh, I have to read a little bit much more on on that, but it's intriguing. And I think there might be some truth to taking out the subjectivity part of it. Right. The human component to it. Although if you take a look, if you if you take out the human component to it and let's say you're appraising um, two identical homes and one indoor had done much more renovation. Um, how do you account for that, right? So it's not entirely apples to apples. So there is a, a degree of subjectivity in a way that can be helpful um, in the whole art of appraising, but um, but it, it is an intriguing approach, I think, to again take away the human subjectivity um, from appraising altogether, and that might actually provide a lot more um, equity when it comes to valuing homes. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, a huge issue that comes up when I talk with, you know, any community that's discriminated against by, you know, by appraisers is the fact that the appraiser industry is very white and it's very male dominant. And a lot of people recommend if you if it was more ethnically diverse, perhaps some of this, you know, wouldn't happen as much. So you could say the same for the entire mortgage industry, because that seems to be the demographic of the entire thing. So I want to ask you what what could you know, speaking to the audience, which is the mortgage industry, what are some things that people in the industry can do um, to kind of help this cause? Yeah, I think what is going to be helpful is just simply. um, Understanding the community that you serve. Right. So, for example, if you've got a brick and mortar, um, uh, let's say, office or retail branch in a predominantly Vietnamese neighborhood, then understand how Vietnamese Americans actually um, how how they handle financial literacy, right? How they handle um, and how they perceive banks, um, and just understanding basically the 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 the, the culture um, that's going to be helpful, right? Because you're serving within that community, and to actually immerse yourself in the community that you're serving is one. It's it's not just self-identification for you, but I think it also um, demonstrates the whole empathy um, within the people within within that particular community. So I think education is key. You know, we we talk about we as an organization talk about Asian Americans not being a monolith, right, just because of all of the subgroups. And we have this 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 uh, pretty extensive deck and um, it's titled serving effectively serving the Asian American community and we talk about the subgroups and there are 
even misconceptions within certain subgroups. And that's the challenge with Asian Americans is that the complexities of all of the subgroups, right? There's the assumption that everybody in uh, of within the Asian American uh, culture eats with chopsticks. That's not the case. Um, there is no one unifying um, language for us, possibly English is, is the unifying language. Unlike for the Latinx and the Hispanic community, there's a Spanish that can be universal. Um, so, you know, going back to then that whole cultural competency, particularly in the mortgage business, um, when you take a look at even underwriting and you know, understanding why for some Asian immigrant families, the idea of sharing financial information is something that is very, very scary, right? They don't talk, first of all, for a lot of Asian uh, immigrant families, the, the idea of talking about money is sort of like taboo. And then you're going to ask them about how much they make and all of that stuff. So that puts them in a very uncomfortable position. Um, and then you also have this whole um the community who may be unbanked because there is no trust with with banks because in some Asian communities, you know, some of the banks fail. And so for them to put their money in the bank may not be the best thing. And so they they have this uh, concept. And so understanding, I guess, all that to say that understanding uh, the culture that you're serving is um, going to be very beneficial in the long-term business relationship that you would want to foster within the clients in your community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you make a good point, you know, with a lot of these other communities, there's this natural distrust for financial institutions. Um, and, and we really don't want that to happen again with the Asian community because there's a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding or it, ignorance or refusal to understand somebody else's culture and just kind mm -hmm. of expecting them to fit your mold. That's just not the way the world works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you take even the lessons learned from the last um, housing bubble, right? Um, a lot of Asian Americans were just too ashamed to ask for help um, and to even understand the options for preventing foreclosure. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we continue to advocate for um, is the access to in-language materials, right? And and the ability to understand what you're actually signing when you're signing all of these documents. Because um, if you look at just direct translation without context, you know, how do you how do you translate the concept of loan to value? If you were to just verbatim tra uh, translate that, it wouldn't make any sense because Okay, well, how, how would the loan to value uh, word verbatim? That doesn't make any sense, right? Because of the concept. And so um, we have been advocating and talking about help from the mortgage industry. We have been advocating for the accessibility of um, in-language materials as it relates to uh, buying a home, you know, 
people need to understand, particularly, um, you know, the immigrant community need to understand what they're getting into. Right. Um, what what does APR mean? You know, um, what how does that you know, how does that have any implication with your whole 30 year mortgage and all of that stuff? Um so having just that 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 resource that people can have, like some banks, some um, uh, some banks have that, and and it's great to see. But I think we could take it a step further, particularly when it comes to servicing loans. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, with the the current you know conditions that the industry is now in. There are plenty of people who have more time on their hands without dealing with an overwhelming amount of volume to think about how to better serve these communities with home buying seminars. You might see a lot of different people walk in through that door, people who are not familiar with the home buying mm-hmm. process or mm-hmm. or maybe be, be a little more shy to kind of approach somebody individually, uh, you know, with their questions. Now is the time to kind of focus on these communities. And, and it's just another way, you know, to get volume and to get more business through the door. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And one thing to note about um, a number of Asian American subgroups is typically we are if if you've formed a relationship with um, and it's a great relationship, you will get repeat customers and the loyalty is there. But you've got to gain the trust, right? You've got to gain the trust and it takes some time um, to 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 gain that trust, whether it's breaking bread with with, um, you know, Asian families and trying out some of the scary food that we will eat, uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's building trust. Right. Or going to a community center and and perhaps um just, just, you know, kind of like understanding what this, let's say a dragon boat um, contest, what does that, what does that mean or, or stuff like that? Because that in the long term, uh, at the end of the day is a, is a very important relationship, both for, um, for the mortgage individual or the banker, but also for the potential homeowner. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Attell, for coming on and for educating the audience about this. I'm, you know, I'm sure this wasn't on everybody's radar, honestly. And now that, you know, you've explained everything and we've kind of went through the history of it, I think people can have a better understanding of what's transpired over the past two years and what's kind of been happening under everybody's nose for a long, long time. So thank you again for, for coming here and for spreading awareness. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate it. This is Gated Communities, hosted by me, Katie Jensen, for the Mortgage News Network. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kudem Peror and Matthew Mullins. Our head of multimedia is Mike Savino, and our editor-in-chief is Christine Stewart. Make sure you subscribe to Gated Communities so you get future episodes, and be sure to rate and review it so others can find it. The song you heard at the beginning was Wild Side by Saint Society, and the song you hear now is Will You Dance With Me by La La Nia. This podcast is copyrighted by American Business Media. OCN is the largest producer of events for mortgage professionals. We bring the action to you. See when we'll be in your area. Just visit us at www.originatorconnectnetwork.com. That's www.originatorconnectnetwork.com.